Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are in a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hey, everybody. I'm Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. So welcome and welcome back to those of you who uh, are just joining us for the last few weeks. Uh, you know, during COVID, we're pre-recording these messages on Tuesday or Wednesday during the week, but we want to invite all of you out to our one big service that we have on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. It's outdoors, we're socially distanced, and of course, you know, being church is not just listening online or watching a video, it's gathering together and uh, being a part of the church, and we would love to connect with you. So come on out sometime or come on back if you haven't been for a while, if you're not uh, compromised in any way. I wanna give a big shout out to Jed uh, for last week for filling in what is a really difficult subject. I know that I did not do it on purpose. I know what Jed said. I listened to his messages and uh, I appreciate the way that he handled that. We're just so fortunate to have the team that we have. Jed is one of them. So bright and so compassionate and so, intense about following Jesus. So I appreciated the way he handled that difficult subject. I hope that you did as well. We're in a study of the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's just jump into our passage here. Today, we are in Matthew 5 verses 31 through 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now I know that uh, most of us, when we think about marriage, we think about something like this. This uh, picture was taken uh, in 1978 on September 8th, and that was Cindy and I's wedding day in Holland, Michigan, that was when I had hair. And uh, of course I had a very stylish tuxedo on for that wedding and Cindy is stunning as usual. Um, but you know, on your wedding day, nobody's thinking about divorce. I know that I wasn't on that day. I was just thinking about all the bliss and the wonder and just the life that we're gonna have together, the perfect children, the giant house, lots of money, no challenges or ever fighting. No one is thinking about divorce on that day, but divorce happens. And it happens to really nice people. All of us, uh, if you're listening or watching, we've all been affected by divorce. Most of us in our family, certainly by friends, our coworkers in ministry, we see it. Among elders, we see it, and even pastors. And I know that uh, those of you that are listening today, some of you have found yourself stuck in a committed relationship called marriage with an uncommitted partner. And our hearts go out to you. And of course, there are some of you that are listening or watching today, and you were at one time that uncommitted person 
and we want you to experience all the grace of God that is available to you. You know, divorce happens because marriage requires a relationship, a committed relationship. And unfortunately, relationships involve people. And if you put broken people together who can't control each other, no matter how hard they try in an enclosed environment, they will have breakdowns. I mean, we've all seen Biodome, right? In this message today, I want to do two things. Uh, it's important for me to do them at once, together. Number one, to elevate marriage to the level that God designed. And number two, elevate God's grace for all the people who have been broken by divorce. Easy peasy, right? Actually, these two things, elevating marriage and elevating God's grace, are not in conflict with each other. They can be synchronized. To me, it reminds me of playing drums. You're doing two separate things at once that come together and form a beat. This passage that we're looking at today is the third of what scholars call the antitheses of Jesus. These are teachings, If you, antithesis means opposite, they're teachings by Jesus that actually don't end up being the opposite. That is, he's not saying don't do that anymore, but he's expanding upon them, clarifying them, and correcting some of the abuses of his day. And each of these antitheses, as we've talked about before, is necessary for human flourishing. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we've noted already that at the base level, people need their physiological needs met, food, water, and then we need safety and security. We need housing. We need to not be under the threat of losing our lives and survival. And then third, third only to those two are relationships. And each one of these antitheses deal with um, human relationships. We've talked about our ability or inability to reconcile, that we cannot be controlled by anger or rage or contempt if we want to flourish in our relationships with others. Jed last week talked about fidelity, fidelity in human relationships to one another, in particular how we see others in the image of God and how we either defraud or not based on our own lusts and desires. And today we're talking about marriage and the unit that we call the family or the home. And each one of these are building blocks to human society that are necessary for us to flourish. So what did Jesus say about marriage, divorce, remarriage, and how was it different from the teaching of his day and certainly in our cultural moment today? In verse 31, he says, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So some background and context like we've been doing throughout this. Number one, under Mosaic law, a certificate of divorce was proof that the marriage was dissolved. Both parties were emancipated from their marital commitment and this document was, a certificate of divorce was proof that they were free from that commitment. And that makes sense. You would need it then, of course, in a small community. Why aren't John and Mary living together anymore? And why is he down at this other house, right? And of course, we need the same thing today. What Jesus is referring to here comes from the Torah in Deuteronomy 24, verse one says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. You know, it's interesting to me how early the accommodation for divorce happens in the law. And that indicates just how hard it is for human beings to do this thing we call marriage. We know that, and we know that the Bible and the law provides for this exception clause, so to speak, as we'll see. But what was going on at this time is the emphasis was being placed on getting the paperwork right. He writes her a certificate of divorce, which was supposed to be a benefit for the woman and the man, but was it really? You see, the permission to divorce at this time was being abused by men where the law says if she's displeasing to him or finds something indecent. The original intent here is that there's some evidence that she has been unfaithful, but what they were doing was kind of expanding on that idea so that being indecent or being displeasing could mean that she spoiled dinner or that he finds someone else more attractive. And as we mentioned before, the effect of patriarchy on the world, we see here how patriarchy is even affecting those of the earliest time that are following Yahweh, following God, uh, the Hebrews. Uh, patriarchy is a system where, where the men hold all the power and women are excluded from it. And it leaves the woman completely vulnerable. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is not what the law taught, but it was the way the law was being interpreted through this filter of patriarchy. And in this time, women are powerless, and so they are vulnerable. Even notice the way the Torah puts it. He sends her from his house. It is all the property is owned by that man. And what Jesus is doing here is he's actually protecting women. And as often as the case, even today, and certainly then, women and children are the collateral damage in divorce. And by the way, the Pharisees would have despised this teaching by Jesus. It's just one more reason for them to hate him and to seek his demise because he is taking power from them. What Jesus does is he puts the responsibility for the consequences on, of divorce on the husband who kicked his wife out. See, Jesus knows what time it is. He says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, the cultural reality is when she remarries, she will be an adulteress. That's why Jesus says, when this happens, you make her a victim. A woman's options at this time were number one, if she were divorced, she would go to family and friends, but an honor and shame culture of that time would make it extremely difficult. It would be shameful and dishonoring for the family to have a divorced woman, whether it's a daughter, a sister, in their household. And they would be possibly ostracized by others in the community for giving her shelter. Another option a woman had would be to, to carry on in her own business, but that's very unlikely. Even in the rare instance where she had a business, the husband likely would dispute the ownership of that business and the profits would go to her ex-husband 
So it's unlikely even that people would do business with her after divorce. She could also, her third option would be to remarry and Jesus and the Torah assume that a woman would remarry. In fact, in the Torah that we looked at in Deuteronomy 24, it talks about a second and a third and a fourth husband. And this would be her only culturally acceptable or moral option. It's considered, it would be considered very fortunate for her to have accomplished that, but it's a long shot. It's such a long shot for that to happen because she has damaged goods in that culture. And in today, and today, even in some Christian circles, the stigma of divorce still limits options. So what option is left for a woman who has no means of income and is powerless? Option number four is to engage in the sex trade, and that was often the case. But in every case by Torah, she, the woman, is made an adulteress because she is unlawfully divorced. And sometimes I think it's important to note that we, we can make a law or we can make a rule that victimizes other people. And in Jesus' day, a woman divorced is a victim. What about the exception clause? We've talked about that a little bit. Jesus says in verse 32, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is unfaithfulness. And it happens, it happened at that time, but it was very unlikely. See, it was men who were much more likely to be promiscuous, but then a wife, because of patriarchy, could do very little about that. Notice even in John's gospel in chapter eight, when he talks about, uh, and we call this, that section, the, the woman caught in adultery. It's not called the man caught in adultery, right? And we notice that the man is um, absent from the story. So much was being laid on women at that time. The Pharisees test Jesus with this exception in Mark chapter 10. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered this way. He says, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And of course, Jesus acknowledges the exception here and in our Matthew passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Why is this clause or this gap made? I believe it's because trust has been broken. A vow has been broken. Marriage is built on a committed, trusted relationship, which we'll talk about in a few moments. So how do you have a relationship? How do you have a marriage if this is broken? Many of you that are listening or watching right now, you're saying, yes, that's exactly the question that I asked when so much pressure was being put on me to stick with this. It's something we have to wrestle with. But then Jesus does, says that divorce happens because of one thing, and you're gonna find this true in every divorce. He says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus says that it's hard hearts that cause divorce. Sometimes when I'm meeting with people, I have what I would call them minimalists. They, they're, they're going through a struggle in their marriage 
and they just want an answer to one simple question. Am I allowed to divorce? Should I divorce? Could I divorce? Just tell me what I can do. Jesus says here that when divorce comes up in marriage, somebody has a hard heart. Sometimes it's both, but it's always at least one. And a hard heart kills any relationship. It's not just true of marriage. It's true of your family. It's true of your friendships. It's true of your church. It's true of church leadership. Hard hearts destroy relationships. Some people often ask me, why aren't other exceptions included, like abuse or abandonment, abuse of children, or chronic financial disaster, or drug use, or secrets? Does that mean that people, that you cannot divorce for any other reason? And I'm going to just hover on that one in uh, wisdom and logic, because this is something that's debated uh, among Christians today. My question to that, my question to that question is this, does God expect a woman or a man to remain in an abusive relationship, one in which there is no trust, a relationship built on trust, founded on trust, relying on trust, without trust? See, the Bible has gaps sometimes. We, we have very little about marriage to go on. And in each case, what I've found is every situation is individual. We have to bring scripture together. We have to consult the Holy Spirit and others and counsel and look deep within our own hearts. But all divorce will involve a hard heart. Someone or both. And in the end, we cannot control other people. Here's what we do know that Jesus has a much higher view of marriage than they did, and us as well. Jesus' stance on divorce is based on God's intent for marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship, according to God. When Jesus is asked about divorce, he talks about marriage. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 4, They've tempted him and they've asked him, what do you think about divorce? And he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see here, they ask about divorce and Jesus responds by talking about marriage. He tells them of the covenant nature of the marriage relationship. So let's do the same as we consider these questions. Jesus says, number one, the covenant of marriage is a publicly declared exclusive and permanent commitment between one man and one woman. A note on covenants here, it means promise, or agreement, but it means much more. God makes covenants with people in the Bible, like Noah and Abraham, Israel and David. He makes a contract agreement with Israel, and by the way, they eventually break every one of them. And if you're a Christian, God has made a covenant with you. He's made an agreement, the new covenant, 
that your relationship with God is not based on your performance, but it is based on what God has done for you through his son, Jesus. We make a covenant with one another and God when we marry. We make a promise, an agreement. We are saying, not only do I want to marry you, not only do I think you're beautiful or handsome or sexy or muscular or you're the person of my dreams, I'm not only saying that in a Christian marriage, I'm saying that God put us together. In verse six, Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I mean, that's included in so many marriages today, but is it, is it truly considered the idea that, that God is part of this union? When we make our vows, we are not vowing to hope to, or to try our best. We are vowing before God, committing ourselves to one another. Now, he is not saying just stick it out in misery, but he is saying to do the right thing and be committed, which sometimes in your marriage, if you're honest, is all you have, but you can't stay there. But marriage requires that commitment in order for it to be healthy. Commitment is not a trap, but it's God's, ways, God's way of doing meaningful relationships. Commitment is, I'm with you. I'm with you no matter what. And it's commitment, it's that commitment that gives us what we need most in a marriage relationship. It gives us trust, which is what the relationship is based on. The Shalom of a Home. Do you remember that show, Shalom in the Home with Rabbi Shmuley? Great show. I don't even know if it's still on Netflix, but I'm going to look it up because I loved that when it was out. That shalom in the home comes from the trusted commitment we make to one another. And flourishing requires that we have stability in our home. The thriving of a home or a family unit is based on that trust and that commitment. And we need this as humans. And this, to me, answers why God is so rigid about divorce and marriage. You know, people will break our trust. We need one relationship that we are assured will not break. One relationship that we can trust. And it's like God is saying, I want to protect this one relationship in a special way. It is a safe haven. It is a place no matter who abandons us, we are secure with one another. This is something to think about in our culture today because there's just, you know, we've lost this commitment to marriage. It's not just something that happened today. It's been going on for decades, but it's why cohabitation is not an option. And it's why divorce is so devastating, both personally and to humanity and culture as well, because we've lost our sense of this commitment to one another. But if we're going to flourish as human beings, we need that marital commitment because society relies on the family unit being stable and strong. And of not just that, but a place where we can have refuge with one another. There's another reason not to divorce, and it has less to do about our commitment, but what marriage is supposed to be by design or intent. 
Number two, God's design for marriage is for a man and woman to flourish in love as one, complementing each other as they pursue his mission together. There's a lot in there, but I want to take a moment and just look at what Jesus says in verse 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh so that they are no longer two but one flesh. When Jesus used the phrase one flesh, he's not just talking about sex, but he's describing an inseparable union. The doctrine of the Trinity is three in one, and the doctrine of marriage is two in one. It is the same inseparable union to God. Adam gets it when he has Eve, when he's given Eve, he calls her bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Unlike the Trinity, though, because of sin, we must work at our unity. But a union of this kind should not be broken. Oneness in marriage is where we experience love as God intended, not just from commitment, but in our oneness. We experience all the loves that we know in the Bible, phileo, which is a companionship love. We experience eros, which is the sexual and earthy and physical love. And we experience agape love in our marriage, that unconditional love for each other. And the home is built around that, not the other way around. A family is built around the marriage, which is why it's just not healthy for our marriages when we put our children in front of us or other people or just remodeling the house or whatever. The, we, our core commitment and oneness comes from that marital relationship. Sometimes the best thing you can give your children is a stable love between one another, which sometimes means closing the door and letting them cry so that you can talk with one another, or staying up late and maintaining that oneness, continuing the conversation that you started a week ago and you haven't been able to finish. Oneness also comes from our complementary pursuit of mission. Jesus, when he referenced one flesh, he's talking about the ideas that come from Genesis 1 and 2, God's original design before sin entered the world. And any discussion of man and woman relationships must go back to this picture that Genesis gives us pre-fall. We are created to be the images, the image bearers of God. We are created to flourish in life together and to care for God's world in all of its fullness together. And it's that unity that allows us to flourish and complement each other as we tackle life together. A few months ago, we, we did a teaching series regarding women's roles in the church. It was called Half the Church. And we discovered this phrase from Genesis 2, the Azer Konegdo. That is our perfect partner. The helper suitable is that, that perfect complement to us. And it isn't one above the other, but it is side by side, sometimes warring on behalf of each other, sometimes carrying each other, but always flourishing together. That's our goal, not just to not get divorced. Our goal is to 
complement each other as we pursue God's mission together. There is a much bigger picture that God has for us. I think often I, the, the Christian marriages that I encounter that are struggling, they're fighting for their commitment. And yet what they haven't done for many, many years is like complement each other in oneness. That is, the commitment has been eroding because they've lost sight of this core value of being together. If that's where you are, I just want to encourage you, do whatever you can to get that oneness back. Get in counseling, go to a marriage conference, read a book, get in a small group. Because if you get your marriage, if you get your view of marriage right, you won't have to worry about your position on divorce. So how do we respond to these words of Jesus in a biblical perspective of marriage? Number one, we have to commit ourselves to the covenant nature of marriage. You see, marriage is supposed to be two things that we've discovered. It's a lifelong commitment and it's lifelong oneness, living out God's calling as a couple and then as a family. So if you're married right now or you're thinking about getting married, there's two thoughts I wanna put in your mind that you're making or you have made a lifelong commitment and that you're to pursue oneness in that relationship. And there will be so many things that try to take that away from you. Don't become distracted. Commit to that covenant nature of your marriage. The second thing we have to consider in response is that I'm talking to those of you who are married, but you're struggling. You may even be thinking about divorce right now. And I wanna to say to you, do everything you can to fire up or reignite that marriage. As I mentioned before, books and counseling and friendships and small groups and conferences, work on your marriage like you work on any other part of your life and put extra energy into it when you feel the connection draining. Follow Jesus with all your heart and your soul and your strength. Do that together and pursue your purpose Lay down your life for one another. How often are Christian couples just going through life and we've, we've lost the perspective of that we are serving God together. We are here to flourish together in our relationship with each other as we pursue the mission that God has given us. Put that back on your radar, Christian couple. In the end, divorce may be your best option, but what I have found that too often we do not really address our issues. And so we divorce and we go on to the next relationship and we find our same problems arriving even in that relationship. Last, how can we respond? If you're divorced and you're listening or watching right now, make things as right as you can and then accept God's healing grace. You know, earlier, the first antithesis that we looked at, Jesus said that if there's something between you and your brother to go and be reconciled, and it always takes two to reconcile, but how far could you go in reconciling that relationship? I know that it hurts. Divorce hurts because it's supposed to. It's something that was put together and then ripped apart. I don't need to belabor that for those of you who have gone through a divorce, even, even if you're so 100% confident that person was toxic to you 
or even if you try to do it in the best way, I know that it's extraordinarily painful. And I want you to hear my voice. And of course, the, the voice of Jesus in his words throughout the gospels to be open to accept the healing that he brings to you and be able to move on. For our church, for Sunridge, what this means, the teachings of Jesus on divorce, means that we have to hold in tension the covenant commitment of marriage, and we have to commit to God's grace, not just in our own lives, because we need it, but for others as well. Grace never ignores sin, but where there is sin, we cannot forget grace. So love your partner strong with all your heart and help others with what you've learned, even if you've learned it the hard way. And love those who have experienced the tragedy of divorce. Don't condemn them. I want to pray for you. And then uh, I just have a couple of final words. God, I pray for anyone who is listening or watching, happens to stumble upon this message because they're checking out Sunridge or searching for something on divorce. I pray that the heart of Jesus would come through my words, that we would understand fully what marriage is to you and give our hearts and souls to one another and to you in pursuit of that. And for those of us that have been touched by divorce, even in our own lives or in our friends' lives, I pray that you would just fill us up with your grace and uh, allow us to extend that to others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to thank you for listening. If you have questions, if you want us to pray, reach out to us at info at sunridgechurch.org or to get in the loop, just go to our website and then go up to the upper right-hand corner and log, click log in and then put in your information. In the meantime, wherever you go, deepen your faith, bring hope, live love as you seek to help people find and follow Jesus. Thanks. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.